Hi there, I'm Mark Isero, and welcome to Article Club, an experiment in community reading where we read, annotate, and discuss great articles on race, education, and culture. This month, we're focusing on Going the Distance by Gordy McGrow. It's an article that explores the relationship between marathon runners who break the rules and independent investigators eager to catch them cheating. And even if you're not a runner, this is a great article worthy of some deep conversation. This week, I got the opportunity to have a conversation with Mr. McGrow. We talked about the main characters in the story, his reporting and writing process, and the ethical questions that the article explores. I really appreciated how candid Mr. McGrow was. So let's get to the interview, but one last thing. There are spoilers here, so if you're worried about that, read the article first before listening to this. You can find the article at hltr.co slash marathon. All right, on to the discussion. Thanks so much for doing Article Club. It's really, really appreciated. Thank you for being here. I'm happy to do it. We're talking about your article, Going the Distance. And article clubbers have so many questions. How did you even find out about this topic? How did this topic originate? It, it actually originated as a online story for a different magazine. So I wrote the story for Wired magazine, but I am a contributing editor at Outside. One of my editors at Outside had asked me to look into a story about a triathlete who had cheated in a race and it was causing a lot of controversy in, I think it was San Diego or something. So I looked into that race and and there was, you know, it was kind of, uh, it was interesting, but it was more like a, like a he said, she said sort of shouting match between everybody. And then I found out about the guy who caught this triathlete cheating in this race. And I looked in more and more into him and I said, well, wow, this, this guy's really interesting. And what he does is really interesting. So I reached out to him and sort of got his story and found out that he was chasing this one particular woman in Texas and that he would allow me to come, you know, tag along as he tried to catch her in the act of cheating. So I, I pitched that idea. That's, that's how the story came about. It's just so interesting right from the beginning. You start with this Derek Mur- Murphy guy, yeah. who is the guy who has marathon investigation. And he goes around and he tries to find cheats, apparently, which there are a lot of. There's a lot right. of these marathon cheaters. Yeah. Can you take us back to that first contact? Like, what kind of guy was he right from the beginning? What were some of your first impressions? When I first spoke to him, the first thing that came to, to mind was, I can't believe this guy spends so much time doing this. Like, you know, what, what does he get out of it exactly? And well, it was two things. It was, I can't believe that that many people cheat at these races. And I can't believe that this guy spends this much time tracking them down and catching them because, you know, I, I guess I knew in the back of my head that this wasn't his, this was a hobby basically. And it, when I spoke to him, I confirmed that it was a hobby he makes, almost no money for, you know, he, I think he makes like a little bit of advertising money from his website, but he has a real job. He's got a real job, a family, like this is just something that he does on the side as a hobby. As I spoke to him more and more, I I realized that he was doing it because he's really passionate about preserving the integrity of, of marathoning uh, or endurance sports, I guess, in general. But yeah, at first I just like, 
I couldn't really wrap my head around why he was doing it. Yeah, we have, everybody has their hobbies and I'm certainly yeah. passionate about mine. But then in the article, you say he spends 10 to 20 hours with it. You do some backstory with his family where like they go out to lunch or something, but he's still thinking about how he's going to go back, use his like scripts and Excel and like all of his scrapers. Like yeah. he's really obsessed by it, right? Yeah, I mean, I don't think that he, he certainly wouldn't say that he was obsessed. And I, I think that that's obviously, you know, it's a judgment call for anybody who reads the story. It, it, is, it, is it an obsession? Is it, you know, a hobby? Is it just a, a really passionate person, like interested in preserving the integrity of the sport? I don't know if you got this reading the story, but I tried to not, you know, peg him as any one thing necessarily. Like if, if the reader came to a, some sort of conclusion, then that was up to them. But I had people writing me after that story came back and some people were angry at Derek and, you know, called him obsessive and vindictive and, and other, you know, pretty mean words. And other people said, I love this guy, you know, I love what he's doing. And like, you know, I think they were impressed by the way he goes about it, you know, taking data and, and breaking it apart and figuring out who's cheating and, and who's not. It's amazing what he does with all of these photos and like extrapolating this, like I'm really into a mathematical mind, which he has. And so are, are the other article clubbers. And so at first, many of us were like, yeah, we like this guy, you know, he's preserving the integrity of the sport. He's like doing what the actual marathon racing people are not doing. And then of course it changes, you know, as, as we go through the article. But the one thing that is coming up over and over again is really what is his why? Like he says that he's undeterred. He says that he's going to like make sure there's truth. And I understand the whole point. Like if you cheat and go to Boston, that means somebody else doesn't. So I get that. And I'm a rule follower myself. But did you get a sense of like the deeper why? Like he was maybe bullied as a kid? Yeah, I, I asked a lot about that. And I didn't get the sense that he was bullied or anything like that. He was always way into analytics and, and math. And, you know, I, I talk about in the story how he, you know, used to try to set up gambling odds on his Commodore 64 for football teams. And he would race his Hot Wheels and, and you know, he would track how fast each one went to try to fi figure out which was the fastest car. And so I, I do think that when he first started this, I think it was more almost a game. And I guess you would really have to ask him if that's the right terminology. But I think for him, it was more like a, a way to use his, his data mining and his analytics and also combine it with something he was passionate about, which was marathoning. He's not a fast marathoner, but he's run... Uh, a bunch of marathons and he's into it. He loves running. So these, I guess this was sort of a way to meld the two. And yeah, I, I, I don't know. And then I do think that at a certain point, it became something else for him. Well, here's one of the things that, that we noticed is that at least the people that you were mentioning in the story, except for Frank, it seems like every example that you included happened to be a female runner or marathoner. And yeah. like, there's definitely something going on, at least in the evidence that you presented. 
Did you notice that also, or is that just coincidental? Well, yeah, I mean, Derek has gotten, he's been called out before for that, for, for mostly going after female runners. But I think if you, I don't think necessarily that he's trying to go after female runners. If you, if you actually go through his archives and, and, you know, go back four years and, and pick out all the runners, there might be more female runners in there, but there's certainly a lot of guys. I don't, I don't think that he is, you know, sexist or anything like that. I think that, I don't know. I, 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 you know, I don't know because we don't have like a, we would have to go and look and see, you know, do a collection of data ourselves and see if there are more women cheating or if that he, or if he's skewing his research in some way. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, I, he's been called out for that. So I, I think it's, I think that's a fair observation. I just don't, I don't know if it's true or not. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's also interesting too, because it's easy now to cast judgment on him. And yet what you do in the article really well is that he gets so much positive praise, especially pre-Frank, where like, like he's getting all of these accolades on, on social media as well as on the internet. And I do wonder also whether just like any human, like whether ego was in it as well, because he got so caught up in this little hobby that I guess went viral in some ways. Do you think that there was some ego there? I don't know. I mean, not being a psychologist, it's hard to say if there's, there's ego involved in it. You know, it's, I think again, it's like, okay, is it, is it ego? Is it obsession? Is it like this? Does he have this just, you know, real passion for integrity? I, you know, it's, I think it's, it's hard to say. I actually tried to, I talked to psychologists and tried to get them to give me sort of their take on it. And really none of them would because you, you'd really have to put somebody on the couch and speak with them for, I think, months in order to figure out what's going on there. But yeah, if you were to ask Derek, he, would, he wouldn't say that it was... And meeting Derek, it doesn't seem like Derek has a big ego or anything. So it'd be hard for me to say that that was the case. But again, I, you, know, it's, you can't really tell. Yeah. So then right in the middle of the piece, you talk about Derek and then you do bring up Frank a little bit. And then you sort of step back a little bit and talk about marathon running in general and how it's like much more popular now. But also you talk about how much cheating there is. There were 5,000 cheaters in one Mexico City marathon. Yeah. And and actually, I think there were even more the following year. And, and so, like, obviously, there's a problem. Did you have a sense about how large this problem was? I I didn't really. I mean, I had read a lot of stories about marathon cheating. I didn't know that it was as, as widespread as it is. But I don't know if you remember, it was probably, I don't know, six to eight years ago, a, a really great story came out in The New Yorker about a guy who, who a dentist in, I think, Wisconsin or something or, or Michigan, who was uh, che- he was a serial cheater, and he was he was caught, you know he was suspected by a, a bunch of guys, but he was he ended up being caught by the writer, I think that was Mark Singer who wrote that story. But anyway, that that sort of piqued my interest in marathon cheating in general. And then, but I yeah I guess I didn't know that it was the, it was nearly as bad as it was. I, I I knew it existed, but I didn't know that this many people did it until mm-hmm. I really dove into Derek Murphy's hobby. 
And what are your, what are your thoughts about that? Because the central premise, uh-huh. especially coming from Derek, is that, you know, if, if nobody else is going to take care of this, then maybe I will. I mean, so for example, I, I'm not a slow, but not a fast marathoner. I've only done two or three, but at some point I was like, I'm going to try for, for Boston. And then now it's actually getting harder and harder because of, you know, the whole thing. And so I'm like, yeah, you know, like get those cheaters. Like, what's your sense of, of that? Like, do you feel that the um, officials are not taking care of the problem? I think that it's a re- it's I think it's kind of hard for them to monitor everybody but just because there's so many runners and and those marathons don't have a ton of money to work with and are pretty short staffed but but yeah I don't think I I I think that when cheaters are caught they maybe aren't it, they maybe don't do it the right way it's hard for me being like an outsider to sort of tell a marathon what to do but I think if you were to ask Derek, his opinion would be that they need to step up their efforts. And then a lot of people who read this story said, why doesn't Derek just report these people to the marathon and then just have them disqualified and then, you know, and they're not shamed and, and, you know, he doesn't have to write about them. And I think what he would say is, well, his writing about it acts as a deterrent possibly and until there is a way of like catching all these people then he'll keep doing it the way he does it Mm -hmm. but i talked to i also talked to a a big time uh, running legend who thought that what derek does is great and that these marathons should just hire derek well yeah that's the thing because you said in your story that sometimes he would report it and then nothing would happen right Yeah. And he, well, and he's also gone to people, to Derek's credit, he's gone to people and said, hey, I caught you cheating. And they've been super apologetic and said, you got me. I I was in the wrong. Mm -hmm. And he doesn't write anything about them. You know, I think he only really writes about the people who, who tried to say that they didn't do it. Yeah. And one of them, one of them was Frank Nissa. And I would love to hear, we would love to hear more about how like like how you approach that i mean obviously such a horrible tragic story but as a writer can you share about like how you got in contact with the family and sort of how you approached telling frank's story yeah i reached out to i reached out to the hospital where frank worked and where his wife worked i don't think she does anymore i worked i reached out to the pr department there and they put me in touch with the Meza family. And then I spoke to Frank's widow on the phone and we set up a, you know, and that was actually a a fairly long conversation, emotional. And we set up a time for me to meet her and the the, the whole rest of the family in in Pasadena. And I think I I went, ended up going out there about a month or so later Hmm. and, and met with them for a couple hours. They, you know, they maintained Frank's innocence and they wanted the chance to tell their side of the story. So I think they were appreciative of me going there and, and, and speaking with them for, for a couple hours. It was really emotional. It was, you know, that's obviously the toughest part of this job is having to, you know, speak with people who've lost 
loved ones, but, but he, you know, I, I never heard from them after the story was published. So I can't tell you that they were necessarily happy. They might've been looking for me to exonerate him, uh-huh. which I, I really couldn't, I couldn't do, but, but yeah, they were very gracious and it was, it was a t- tough interview, but they, they were great about it. It's such a beautiful and touching and hard scene and you save it for the end of the article. Can you share a little bit more about how you wrote that scene? As far as like, what did you include versus not? What were you trying to do? Article clubbers are just really appreciative of that piece right there. Yeah, that was my editor's favorite part too. I, well, I got back, I had written a lot of the story already because it, 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 had, it had basically already totally unfolded and I kind of just needed that end, that last part with the Meza family. And so I got back to Wyoming from California and I, I just sat down and wrote it. And I kind of, I had a two hour long recording that I transcribed. And as I was transcribing it, I could sort of see everything. I took a lot of notes while I was in their house. I took pictures so I could, you know, see how to write the scenes and make sure I was describing their house properly and what they were wearing and how they look and, you know, where we were in the house and all sorts of different things like that. I just remember sitting down and writing that section of the story. And I think it was probably even longer than it is, than it turned out in the, in the actual piece. But, but yeah, I kind of just laid everything out. I, I knew that I wanted to establish who Frank was and I wanted to talk about the funeral and I wanted to talk about what we knew about the death, his death, and why, like what drove him to that point. And I knew only his family could answer those questions. And I really wanted to capture the raw emotion of the family as I was, as I was sitting there with them. So I just tried to, you know, I, I think if you went down, went back and, and counted how many words were in that section, it's probably only like a seven or 700 word section or something but I just tried to pack as much into it as I possibly get. There's so much packed in it and it's like so emotional and, and article covers really resonated with it. And they just want to know more, you know, they want to know more about the family. Is there anything else that, that maybe didn't make the page that you could share? The, the family was incredibly nice. Like I, I couldn't help but feel just horrible for them the whole time I was there. I really liked them. Like if they were your neighbor, you would probably, you know, you'd try to spend as much time with them as possible. They're Mexican American. They had tons of, tons of Latino art on the wall, beautiful house, like really nicely decorated. It's in South Pasadena. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's like, it's beautiful, beautiful neighborhood. And yeah, I mean, they talked a lot about, you know, how much Frank would run and how he would get, uh, his son out running with him a lot and you know how he read like every book there was on running but then also they they just like went on and on about what a good guy he was and he did he does he seemed like a, a, a great guy like he would cook meals for his patients and mm-hmm. uh, do house calls and you know it, it just went on and on and on it was another really confusing part for me because i there was so much evidence you know, suggesting that Frank had cheated. 
and cheated numerous times. So it was so confusing to me. I couldn't understand how this guy who seemed so great and had so much going for him could also be a, a cheater. <laughs> like, why it didn't make any sense to me? Why? And that question, I don't think, you know, we're, we'll never get that question answered. It's wow. just so interesting too, though, because, you know, you played it very fairly. There is evidence about Frank's, you know, cheating. And yet you like have so much emotion and so much humanity in that piece as well, in that part. And it's just so interesting how both of the main characters are somehow like wanting more or like they, they somehow want to be seen as a certain way. And then there's this whole thing that we don't need to get into, but there's this whole thing about the internet culture as well, or like the perceptions that we have onto people, which is mediating this whole thing too. But instead of asking that, I want to ask more about, you mentioned your editor Mm -hmm. earlier and how like your editor really helped you with the piece and everything. And I just wanted to say that one of our favorite parts about the piece is just how you organized it. And how you sort of allowed different, like what you decided to go with first and then each part of it. Can you speak to like how you decided to organize it, how you did? I had originally suggested that maybe we start with Frank's death. And Vera, my editor said, no, let's let's slow roll that. Let's start, you know, with something else. And she didn't actually give me like anything specific to start with. I said, well, let me, maybe what I'll do is I'll start with Derek catching, you know, or, or at least getting turned on to the fact that Frank was probably cheating. And so that's the way I started it. And then actually the story really kind of flowed from there for me. Like every, every section of the story kind of just, it was, it just kind of went where it was supposed to go. I think there was one section that I had someplace else. This, it was the section about the proliferation of marathon cheating. Mm -hmm. And I think Vera moved to that. But other than that, it was all, it all kind of like made sense where it needed to be in Mm -hmm. like each part. So that was nice that it, because, you know, a lot of times you struggle with story structure yeah, yeah. How do you do that? Because you know everything in the story, but you don't quite know how a reader's going to take it. And for example, that switch in the proliferation of marathon cheating, coming right after a little bit of foreshadowing with Frank Mesa, like just allowed me as a reader to have like a little bit of time. But it's it's fairly late though. Like you don't establish marathon cheating until the middle of the piece, and so it's a very interesting decision to do that. But then obviously the emotional impact just for me personally and also you know other article clubbers they were like whoa it was it was almost like you had done a trick on us yeah, that's a lot of people said that actually so actually I, that's i have to say that i remember when i was writing the piece that i kept wanting to be i kept wanting to get that section into the story and and i i kept being like i got to get it in here i got to get it in here but then as i was writing it i i was thinking uh, it's got to, I have to, I have to tell them about this first, because this is important, you know, before you know about this other, about the fact that Frank killed himself. Mm-hmm. So I, I really, it kind of like just, it kind of just sort of plotted itself, but I'm, I, I'm like that. I, I like to get that stuff in the story early to mm-hmm. keep the reader's attention. Mm-hmm. And so that was actually 
as far as storytelling goes for me, that was a little bit unusual to let it go on that long without giving that big, basically the main, main part of the story. And like, like you said, it, it does come, it does come pretty late. And the whole article, obviously you pack in so much in not a very large amount of space. However, the actual scene where Frank does kill himself is done with such economy of language. It's like, and it, it feels, it felt to me at least that you packed that in and you went into a reporter stance and you just sort of told the story in as few, like it was done in about three or four sentences. And then as a reader, I was, it just sort of came over me that this was a different article than I thought it was going to be. I, I had an, I have an editor at, at outside and he always is, he's always said, you know, writers always write too much. And I've like always taken that to heart. Like you don't have to, yeah, you don't, it doesn't have to be this big flowery thing. It's like, these are the facts, tell the facts. And so that's what I did there. Because I don't, I wasn't there. I don't know exactly. I, I, I told it with as much detail as I knew. Um, later on, you get some more detail about what Frank did, you know, preceding his suicide. But yeah, I just wanted to tell it as straightforward as I could. That's something that we at Article Club, like we just really, really appreciate. It's just a group of people who really like to connect thoughtfully and talk about great articles. And there's just a different level of quality of article. So I like you're, you're being like in your processing and your reporting, you did such a great job of like being fair to everybody. And yet like there is this issue of ethics as far as like, is there a line Right. that is you know it that that maybe Derek went over and i just want to know like what your thought process was as a writer trying to be fair but also being a human yourself like did you get a sense of what that line is where it's great that there should be rules that you know and cheaters should be caught but is this doing too much yeah i was i was so conflicted writing this story and I guess I am still, but yes, I, I do think there probably is a line. And this is where you get into like the, the, you know, is it, is it reporting? Are you just reporting or are you crossing that line into like cyber bullying mm -hmm. and, and all sorts of things come into play there. It's, you know, I, as a reporter, you're, you're always trying to tell the story, but you're always trying to do the least harm. So for Derek, who's like really like an amateur reporter, right? He, and he's an amateur sleuth, an amateur reporter. He's never really, I guess, been taught those things. So I don't know. It's, yeah, it's hard for me to say I wouldn't have taken it that far as a journalist. So yeah, I, I, I don't I don't know. Does that answer your question? Is that vague? <laughs> no, I think that that's what we're going to be grappling with. Like yeah. we're going to talk about the article next week, yeah. but we're also really going to talk about how far is too far and what's the line and why. And if this were something else, then, or if, if what happened to Frank didn't happen, would it be fine, you know? And, and like, why didn't he stop after catching, you know, one of the, one of the women who he caught, you know, like that's what we're going to be asking ourselves. So I, so we wanted to ask you too. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, yeah, I think it's, I, I just think it's really hard to say. And, and I think you have to, there's so many factors involved. Like you have to, you have to take into account the person that you're going after. 
like like Frank Meza was not a, a high profile politician or uh, you know some something of that sort who was cheating on some some you know government you know major government agency or something he was cheating in a marathon so yeah I do think like how far is too far and I'd love to you know have this conversation with the rest of your the rest of the people in your club because I, I've had this conversation a hundred times with people since that story came out and yeah. I'm I'm super wishy-washy about it because I because I wrote the story and I don't want to make a judgment yeah. <laughs> but yeah it's it's tough I I don't know I didn't I I think the way that I wrote the story you can kind of see where I was going with it where, where I kind of fell on that but but yeah it's uh it's a tough call i'm definitely interested to hear like what they decide what they think about it what they think what they think the line is that's what we're going to try to get at and just want to appreciate you so much thank you so much for doing this yeah no i uh, thanks for having me i want to thank gordy again for making time to talk to us at article club I really appreciated his thoughtfulness and authenticity, and I left our conversation with even more respect for his writing and reporting. It also gave me additional gratitude for what we're doing here at Article Club in general. We're finding the best articles to talk about, and generous authors are sharing with us their thinking and their craft. So I think it's pretty great. So if you want to be in on this, if you want to join Article Club, all you need to do is go to articleclub.org. If you want to talk about going the distance next Sunday, August 30th, you can sign up for a discussion at highlighter.cc discussion. All right. Thank you again, and I hope you have a great week.